Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Good to be together, good to worship God together. We as Christians celebrate the resurrection not just one day a year, but we celebrate it every single day because of what God has done for us. But today is special, and so we celebrate that he is risen. He is risen indeed. It is Master's Weekend. Now, if, you know, if you're a golfer, you know the, what I'm talking about. It's Master's Golf Tournament Weekend. But I'm going to tell you this morning, the Master's Weekend has nothing to do, the true Master's Weekend has nothing to do with golf, and it has everything to do with what we are celebrating today, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, what if it's not true? What if it's not true? So last Saturday was April Fool's Day, and it got me thinking, did you know that since the year 1700, Easter has fallen on April Fool's Day a total of 11 times? It's just 11 times in over 300 years. It's only happened twice in the last 77 years. One of those was just five years ago in 2018. Now, some would argue that April Fool's Day should fall on Easter, or vice versa, Easter should fall on April Fool's Day every single year, because you have to be a fool to believe that someone could come back from the dead. Nice story, nice show, but it's really just much ado about nothing. It's like the story I heard about the bagpiper who got a call from the funeral director in the area, and he said, hey, we've got, this, uh, we've got this man who doesn't have any family, doesn't have any friends, he's basically homeless, and we're just going to bury him in a pauper's grave. Could you come and play a song at his funeral when we put him in the ground? We're not even doing a funeral, just to put him in the ground. Can you come and play a song? And the bagpiper agreed, but the grave was out in a place he'd never been to, and so he, on the way out there, he got lost, and he ended up showing up to the gravesite uh, an entire hour later than he was scheduled to be there. And so he got there, he found the grave diggers, they're just sitting around talking, uh, funeral director's gone, no hearse, everyone basically is gone. And as he stood by that freshly filled in hole of dirt, he began to think about how this man deserved better. And so he decided to get out his pipes and honor him as best he could. And so he began to play Amazing Grace by the side of that newly filled in hole. And the diggers listened as he played so passionately that they began to weep and he began to weep as he played for this homeless man and then he was as he was through he headed out to back to his car to leave his head low and his heart full and as he was walking back he heard one of the diggers say that was the most beautiful dedication of a septic tank I have ever heard (laughs) and that's the way a lot of people view the resurrection Christianity in general. Nice show, nice story, but it's really much ado about nothing. Of course, the other side of that is to say, no, actually, you're the fool if you ignore the evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Either way, perhaps nothing as, is as important as determining the truth about nothing. It really is true that nothing matters because the resurrection really has everything to do with nothing. And before you get too confused, let me explain what I mean. You see, when those early disciples went to the tomb that first Easter weekend, none of, the, n- none of them woke up that first Easter weekend and they said, you know what? We are excited. Let's, I can't wait. It's Easter Sunday. Let's run to the tomb. Nobody expected no body. 
They were just as shocked as everyone else when they got to the tomb and saw nothing. And the response of their foes acknowledged the same thing. The tomb was empty. There was nothing there. Now remember, the Christian faith was birthed soon after and right, right in the very place where Jesus died and was buried. So, in other words, it's not like this whole idea of Christianity cropped up in some place thousands of miles away and hundreds of years later. No, it was birthed right near and right at the same time when these events that we believe as Christians took place, took place. And so the easiest place and the easiest time to stop the whole claim would have been right then and right there. But it was unstoppable because the presence of nothing was undeniable. Now, there are some who say, okay, maybe I can buy an empty tomb, but I'm not into this whole resurrection thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, I'm a woman of, of science. Well, so are very many Christians all over the world. In fact, I want to read to you a uh, quote from a guy by the name of Dr. Ian Hutchinson. He is a professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. And he wrote an article about why many of his colleagues in the field of science and different sciences are professing Christians who believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And they don't do it by giving up science. Here's what he says. To explain how a scientist scientist can be a Christian is actually quite simple. Science cannot and does not disprove the resurrection. Natural science describes the normal, reproducible working of the world of nature. Science functions by reproducible experiments and observations. Now, miracles are, by definition, abnormal and non-reproducible, so they cannot be proved by science's methods. Now, a widespread view today is that events contrary to the law of science just can't happen. But that is a philosophical doctrine, not a science. You see, science is not our only means of assessing truth. In the case of Jesus' resurrection, we also must consider the historical evidence. And the historical evidence for the resurrection is as good as for almost any event of ancient history. A bare presumption that science has shown the resurrection to be impossible is an intellectual cop-out. Science shows no such thing. And so that, if that's your worldview, that's fine, but I'm going to challenge that. Dr. Ian Hutchinson would challenge that. He's probably got a better track record than I do. I never went to MIT. He's, he's got a much better track record on, on that. But what we're talking about is the, the, the intervention of God into this world of science and nature to work a miracle. And we're not just saying that out of nowhere. We're saying that the evidence in favor of that is very, very strong. Understand that there is no other world religion grounded in a historical event that welcomes investigation like the Christian faith. Now, there's really no one, reasonably speaking, who's going to deny the historicity of Jesus. Like, Jesus of Nazareth was a real person who really lived He really was killed by the Romans. He really was buried. And so why was there nothing where everyone knew there was once something? Well, there are three main possible explanations. One, aside from the one that you and I believe, one is that the enemies of Jesus stole his body. But why would they do that? And if they had, they could have just produced the decaying corpse as soon as the claim of resurrection was made. 
They could have just taken the body, thrown it on the ground, and said, okay, yeah, here's your Messiah. Good luck with that. And the Christian movement would have been squashed before it ever got off the ground. And so the more popular explanation, and one that we actually see in Scripture as well, is obviously that the disciples stole the body. But first, how did they do that? How did they get past Roman guards, steal a body, and not a single eyewitness saw them? But even more than that, why would they do that? What did they gain from stealing the body of Jesus? Fame? Fortune? Book deals, movie contracts. Here's what they got for claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. Poverty, confiscation of property, imprisonment, torture, and execution. I mean, that's the top five list of things that we do, right? For, you know, those are the things that we really want. That's what they got. Now, someone might say, yeah, but people will die for their religion. And that is true. People do die for their religion if they believe it's true. People die for things they believe to be true, not things they don't believe to be true. Nobody endures torture and death or watches those that they love endure torture and death for a belief that they know is a lie. So the other, other possible explanation, some have argued, is that maybe he was resuscitated. Maybe he actually never died, but he just kind of went into a deep sleep and was somehow resuscitated. But that theory in many ways, shows just how much they don't know about the, 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 the Romans' ability to crucify people. <laughs> so there's no account in history that anyone who was ever crucified on a cross was still alive. If the Romans knew one thing, it was how to kill people. They knew how to kill people. So they would flog you so badly that you were most of the time died. And if you didn't die, then they'd nail you to a cross. And then when they nailed you to the cross, if you didn't suffocate fast enough, they would break your legs so that then you would suffocate. In the case of Jesus, they didn't break his legs, but they did come along with a spear and pierced his side, which would have pierced his heart and or his lungs. Then they wrapped him up, threw him in a tomb with no food, no water for three days. But somehow he came to, got all the bandages off, pushed the stone away, fought past the soldiers, took his pitiful, emaciated body to the disciples and said, go die for me, and someday you'll look like this. I'm sorry, but you have to be kind of foolish, (laughs) and I'm putting it nicely, to believe that's the case. Something happened because everybody knew where that tomb was and there was nothing in it. Now, if you don't think it happened and you are a Christian, then you are a fool to be one. If you don't think the resurrection happened, then you are a fool to believe in Jesus and in Christianity. Now, that's not me saying that. That's what the Bible says. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then, to be found, then found to be false witnesses. We're liars about God. For we have testified about God that he, was raised, that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only, listen to these words, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if the possibility 
that death has been conquered exists. If it is possible that you can know for sure that there is life after death and you haven't investigated it, you haven't mustered all of your intellectual capacity to research and see if it could be true, then you are the biggest fool of all. And maybe it's possible that for some of us, the real problem is not a lack of evidence in the resurrection of Jesus, but it's a lack of willingness to go where that evidence leads us. Because to be honest, if death has surrendered to Jesus, then only a fool would not do the same. And so you see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, nothing matters. So let me give you three ways in particular that's true. First, the resurrection says that we have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. People hide all the time. They don't want God to know their mistakes, their failures, their sins. It happened at the very beginning. Adam and Eve did it, and we've been doing it ever since. People are afraid God might find out. Can I tell you something? You are not going to be outed by God. You know why? He already knows what you've done. He already knows everything you've ever done. You're not surprising God, but he's not sent up. Boy, I didn't see them do that. He has seen everything you have ever done and everything you will ever do. Do. You cannot be busted by God. God knows everything that we do. And he has always known what he's going to do about it. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this in verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This is the core of our faith. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what, when when life gets hard, this is what we hang on to. It's the most important thing about our faith. And in order to do the most important thing, Jesus had to become the least important. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or, or to be grasped or held on to, but rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, the unoccupied tomb matters. The unoccupied tomb on Sunday matters because there was a cross that was occupied on Friday. And the price he paid is bigger than the mess you've made. You've got nothing to hide. Because you see, God's got an answer for the sin problem. Here's the deal. Sin at its core is me and you putting ourselves in a place that only God deserves to be. And here's the beautiful thing. Salvation is God putting himself in the place that only you and I deserve to be. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. You and I deserve death for our sins. And God's answer was to become a man in the person of Jesus and live a sinless life. And you say, well, why did he have to die? His sin had no claim on him. No, but he took our claim. He took our penalty. He died in our place. And he offers to the believer the most amazing invitation of exchange that he would take our guilt on him. And he would give us 
his righteousness. So you don't have to hide from that which Christ has died. You don't have to worry about God, seeing God and thinking, God's going to see all my sin because what God is going to see is the righteousness of Jesus because your sin has been washed by his blood. That's what you can look forward to when you see God. You don't have to be afraid of that moment. And the reason Jesus can offer you a future is because he's dealt with your past. And so you can enter your future boldly because secondly, the resurrection says that we have nothing to fear. You see, fear can only be present where hope is absent. Maybe that's one of the, why one of the very first things we just, Andrew just read it a few moments ago. One of the very first things we hear the angels and Jesus say after his resurrection is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, the resurrection of Jesus means that death does not get the last word. The The resurrection says death has nothing on you. So you have nothing to be afraid of. Now, that doesn't mean that life is easy. I know many of you this morning, if not all of us, are carrying some burden or another in our lives that we're dealing with, some some struggle, some suffering. Life is hard. And we all have pains. We all have struggles. We all have sufferings. But nothing can keep us in a place of constant fear. You don't have to stay there. Nothing can keep us there. We've got leverage over our suffering because we know the tomb is empty. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings, it's not that they're nothing, but in comparison to what is waiting for us, they're not even worth comparing. Not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I love what James writes. James chapter 1, verses 2 and through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Not because it's good. Because here's what God's doing. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then he says this in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, when you know the final score, you play the game differently. When you know the final score, you play the game differently. We don't play in fear. We play with boldness because we know we have nothing to fear. And when you understand the significance of nothing, you are eager to do something. Because thirdly, the resurrection says we have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. If we know that we will live after we die, we can be fully alive before we die. What we do today is important because we know there is a tomorrow, whether it's on this earth or in a new heaven and a new earth. You see, I I think this is where nothing matters most of all because I think we can all agree that we live in a world in need of something. I don't think any of us are satisfied in this world that we live in with the way things are. And yet, If you think that the resurrection is just much ado about nothing, then at least be intellectually honest enough to admit the implications for what that means for this world that you live in. Because your worldview, if you view that about the resurrection, that it's just all much ado about nothing, that it didn't really happen, if your worldview is that, then it undermines the very motivation needed to care if this world ever gets better. You see, if meaning is found only in the individual, and only and what I want or what I think is right, then understand that nothing is really ever right or wrong. 
what you think is right or wrong may be completely right for me. You may think it's wrong for me to take your stuff. I like the idea. Nothing's really ever wrong or right. Don't judge me, right? You see, if there is no higher standard, and if we all just determine our own meaning, then nothing is wrong. And if there is no future judgment, then the whole idea of justice is just a pipe dream. I mean, how can you argue for justice when there is no ultimate standard and there is no future accounting and there is no hope that everything is going to be made right? Answer, you can't. If you believe that we're just cosmic accidents, that we're just a few billion years of evolved pond scum, then you're basically saying that nothing you do with your life makes a difference. Help the poor, don't help the poor, steal, cheat, give, it doesn't matter. Universe don't care. You're just a freak accident. You're just electrified dust. And when you die, you're just going to go back to the irrelevance that you have always been. And the universe doesn't care one iota what your life stood for. If death has the final word, nothing matters. But if the grave has been conquered, and if tomorrow is guaranteed, and if there is a coming judgment that's going to make all things right, if Jesus is Lord and his return is sure, then everything we do today has meaning and significance. And nothing can stop us from doing something because we have nothing to fear. Speaking of nothing to fear, let me close this morning by reading from one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It's from Romans chapter 8. I love the words that Paul says. Starting in verse 34, he says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Easter is not just a day. Easter is the way we live every day. Nothing to hide. Nothing to fear. Nothing to lose. Because one day, the one who came back from the dead is coming back to this earth. And he's going to put everything back together and no one and nothing can stop it. He is risen. He is risen indeed.